Transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. want to be a comic it's not as easy as we make it look but that's because mutiny radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs strain those improv muscles every sunday from four to six at getting sketchy with david stolowitz press out those new jokes every monday six to eight on joke workshop with four minute sets and four minute critiques from everyone kept positive by host pam benjamin pump those dick jokes every thursday seven to nine with true hustle thursdays hashtag thc that's hashtag thc you want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. (laughs) It's summer. 
summertime and we're ready to groove in the mission for the sixth annual Noise Pop Block Party. It's free Saturday, August 18th from noon to 6 p.m. with bands Empress Of, Jeff Rosenstock, The Marias, The She's, Small Crush, The Total Bettys, and more. Come to Mutiny Radio for special programming all afternoon, including live comics, karaoke on the radio for donations, and interviews with main stage bands. Bring your family, friends, neighbors, and dogs on August 18th to benefit Mission Language and Vocational School and celebrate the peak of sunshine. For more info, check out the Noise Pop Block Party website at www.20thstreetblockparty.com. Well, hello and welcome to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val here, spinning my wheels uh, at mutinyradio.fm. We're here at the corner of 21st in Florida in the Mission District. I would have said spinning records, but I actually don't have any vinyl to, to throw down today. However, I do have a guest who's uh, going to be joining me today. We're going to be seeking, speaking with uh, Sonia Trouse, who is running for District 6 Supervisor here in San Francisco in the November election. So I'm happy to uh, highlight another woman running for office. And we're going to talk about some of um, her background and her ideas about uh, where to go from here. Uh, and before we do that, I want to play a little music for you from a friend in Southern California, Joy Rosenberg. This is her new album called My Own Religion. And be right back. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned.
you are listening to Women's Magazine here. I'm Global Val, Mutiny Radio.fm, San Francisco. Um, thank you, Joy Rosenberg, for your music, My Own Religion. You should go check her out. Uh, I think she's based down in the Venice Beach area in California. So wherever you may be out there listening, I hope you're enjoying the summertime and making the most of it. I know I am. I decided, you know what? You only get summers once in a while that uh, you can do things and make sure you have fun. So I've thrown caution to the wind and I've been having a really fun summer and I hope you have been too. Or if you haven't been, get to it. Here we are at Mutiny Radio and I'm really happy to welcome my guest today, Sonia Trouse, who's running for District 6 Supervisor here in San Francisco for the November election. Uh, and today is August 10th, 2018, by the way. So we're continuing this election season coverage here at Mutiny Radio. And uh, if you want to see, listen to some of my other coverage, you can check out globalval.blogspot.com. But i um, happy to introduce uh, Sonia Trous. Uh, she is, as I said, running for District 6. Um, she's also part of the California Renters Legal Advocacy and Education Fund, a.k.a. Sue the Suburbs. Uh, she's a co-founder of the Yimby Party here in San San Francisco was the former voice of SFMB on Twitter and um, the founder of SF Barf, uh, the Bay Area Renters Federation. You heard me right. Um, Sonia, welcome to Women's Magazine. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, I have to I have to tell you that I want to tell our listeners a little story about how I learned about you. Um, I am a political nerd and I was watching SF Gov TV, <laughs> which I, I mean, I'll give credit to the Department of Technology for putting it together, but it seems like kind of like a cheesy production of all of the proceedings and hearings that go on in, in, you know, in, in, in San Francisco. And I actually saw two of your hearings um, when you were applying for public financing for your campaign and um, saw that they had ultimately denied it for, you know, we don't necessarily need to get into that if you don't want to, but um I was like, wait a second. She's not getting public funding. She's going to get some time on Mutiny Radio. So um, I'm happy you're here. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah. I actually want to check that mic one more time. Maybe, maybe, okay. yeah. Should I do this? Yeah, that one's going to, that's one's going to do it for us better. Do I put the hairy thing over that's it? That's perfect. No, no, no. You're good. Okay. Nice. Well, welcome, Sonia. Um, so I wanted to get started here and see if you want to tell us um, a little bit about your background, because I know you've been engaged civically, so to speak, for a long time. Uh, you want to give us a, a little introduction? Sure. I So I started out in, I used to be a high school math teacher in 2014, uh, 2013, 2012. Um, I lived in, I was actually living in West Oakland, and I was taking home $2,000 a month, and most of my it felt like most of what I was taking home was being eaten up by rent. And and actually, besides rent, high BART costs. My first cause was BART uh, cost too much. But that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it just wasn't, I guess it wasn't as much of an issue. Uh, my second cause was that rent is too high. And it was very frustrating because West Oakland, you know, I sometimes talk about it as if it's part of San Francisco because it's still very much within San Francisco's orbit and it's still very much affected by what San Francisco does. And in particular, San Francisco is having so much population growth and such a healthy economy that people are being displaced from San Francisco and the first place they go is West Oakland because it's just one BART stop away. Uh, and they also go to other parts of Oakland. And so 
people being displaced from San Francisco were driving up rents in West Oakland. And when I came to San Francisco or read the the political news, what I saw were San Franciscans, whether it was 8 Washington, uh, there was that no wall on the waterfront ballot measure, or in Potrero Hill, there was opposition to new housing there, or in the Mission, there was opposition to new housing. And I just felt like the people who would have lived in that housing, if it was built, instead were going to move to other parts of San Francisco or Oakland. And so I started getting involved. I had other friends that agreed with me and we started and first it was just like five people and we called ourselves SF Bay Area Renters Federation, as you mentioned, uh, SF Barf, which was great because it attracted people that didn't like take themselves too seriously, you know, and we started going to planning commission hearings and it just took off because the message of we need to have more housing, displacement is really bad. It turned out to be pretty popular. And now it's now. <laughs> yeah, the 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 whole Yimby idea. I mean, I remember a couple of years back when Amy Farrah Weiss was running for mayor against Ed Lee. She was running on this kind of unofficial, you know, she had this Yimby about um, trying to find strategic ways to to work with the community so that the development could move forward in a way. But the Yimby party is something different than that. Um, and you're one of the co-founders of of the, that that. Uh, that group. So, um, how did that come about? And, and, and do you feel like the group has really kind of come together and made some progress? Yeah, it's been a very, at every turn, kind of surprisingly successful experience. Uh, so I started out, like I said, I had SF barf and then, um, a woman named Laura Clark, who I met through all of this stuff. Obviously, we're friends now. Uh, my friend Laura. Uh, she had a group that she called Grow SF. Uh, later, she realized she had to change the name because people thought it was about marijuana. Yeah. Um, and then there was another woman also named Laura who started something called Progress Noe Valley. And there just there just seemed to be like a lot of interest and a lot of people who kind of had the same idea, which is that we have to get more housing uh, and had some different approaches. And so people were starting their own groups. And then in 2016, we all merged together to make the Yimby party, which was supposed to be like, we have actually many more individual groups. There's West Side, Best Side and Grow the Richmond and New Soma SF. And there's a Mission Yimby. So each neighborhood is starting to have their own their own group um and we uh have this umbrella or yimby party so that we can kind of coordinate and merge efforts also in 2016 there were a lot of elections going on and so that was really that was fun that was the first time i really worked on we our members a lot of them had never really been involved in politics before uh they voted or they knew they were supposed to vote Uh, but maybe hadn't even registered yet and we took people who were like voting probably and 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 brought them in and made them into people that were knocking doors and and doing phone banking um so yeah the reason we kind of coalesced in 2016 was to have a sort of organized core to to endorse candidates and the reason why it's important to endorse candidates if you're a political group is that then whether they get elected or not actually elected start to really care about what you want and we wanted them to to push forward legislation that we wanted and so has the yimby group been successful in in getting their candidates elected i 
think so. You know, Laura takes a lot more credit for electing Scott Weiner than I do uh, to state senate. Uh, you know, if you ask her, she'll be like, "We did it. That was all us." <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the nice thing when you work together with other people. Like everybody can sort of feel like they were that last little push. Um, so he got elected, and that was really great. But also, I to me, what stands out a little bit more actually is passing the affordable housing bonus program, uh, which they wound up calling Home SF, which is actually a real upzoning, like the first upzoning in the west side in san francisco ever and katie tang told me so that was that was a two-year bill when she first introduced it it was it was very controversial and controversial makes it sound like there were two sides actually it was just unpopular so when she had she would have neighborhood meetings and everyone at the meeting that spoke up was totally against it um in in the because it would it would allow bigger buildings out on the west side and uh, the second time it, she kind of went around with it, having community meetings, by then more Yimbies had started really organizing themselves in Western neighborhoods. And instead of, and it's not like there were so many Yimbies at the meeting, but you don't need so many. If, th- if there were 25 people at the meeting, there were 12 people that against it and four people who were for it, before there was no one that was for it. So she told me it made a world of difference to have a few people raise their hands and say, well, you know what? We do need more housing. And this program has a lot of affordability built in. Uh, This might not be a bad thing. Like, maybe we should do it. And so that, she said, really turned the the tide. And and Tang and Asha Safai wound up being the sponsors that really pushed that through. So that was really an exciting moment, I think. Yeah, because if you're out there listening, Katie Tang is the District 4 supervisor out there in the Sunset District, Um, and Asha Safai is in District 11, which is kind of the Excelsior Portola area. Um, And no, Portola is, I think, part of District 9. Anyhow, um, but yeah, down on the west side, and um, admittedly, I, I grew up in the Sunset District. I'm born and raised fifth generation San Franciscan so I I and but I'm obviously here in the Mission District quite a bit and all over all over the city so I get a chance to really get various perspectives on things Um, and so I I know the uh, resistance that you're talking about from the west side of thinking you know well these are is the land of single family homes we live here because we can have a backyard and a family um and we still want to you know be able to see the beach once in a while <laughs> that kind of thing um but but that is interesting that um it, you know what i also see is a, a big change throughout the city because there is a, a lack of affordable housing people getting kicked out for one reason or another whether it be legal or not um under ellis act and you know owner move-in evictions and all and all sorts of things and the the influx of um tech uh to the bay area which could benefit the bay area in many ways but has really hurt the housing um you know situation for so many people um so yeah i I think it is a time of change and trying to figure out ways to to move forward so um so you're running for uh, so you live in district six obviously because you're running for candidate uh for supervisor uh how long have you lived in district six since 2016 Okay. Not that long. But I've been involved in San Francisco politics since 2014, which is also not that long. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I am I am kind of the outsider. I, and I don't think that's actually such a bad thing. You know, insiders have put us in the situation that we're in now. 
You know, we've had a growing population for a while, and City Hall has not gotten it together to to do something about it. Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of the development, um, not just getting tied up politically, but getting tied up bureau- bureaucratically. Um, yeah, all 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 the the red tape and go go talk to six different departments and chase your tail around until you get it done. So um, so you're running for district six supervisor. So tell us about some of your ideas and some of your plans and and how you um, kind of see yourself playing a role in in the the changes that are afoot here in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing is still about housing. It's still, I mean, the number one issue in six is homelessness. Uh, we wind up feeling like that's an issue, that's like a District 6 issue, which is, of course, ridiculous. It's a it's a citywide issue. It's a region-wide issue. Homelessness is a, most people are homeless because they're poor. I mean, it's caused by poverty. Like, this is an issue from all over the world, in a way. Um but it, it winds up being the most acute or feeling the most acute in District 6 uh, because of some of the things that the city does in other, in other districts. So I do want to say that District 6 and District 10 together have built 80% of the city's housing. Right. 80%. And there are nine other districts. District 6 alone has built 60% of the city's housing. So it's not exactly the case that the city didn't plan for growth or didn't want to but i think it is planning for growth in a in a very unsustainable way by trying to push all the growth just into one or maybe two districts and that's unsustainable for a couple reasons one it means that we're betting like we're putting all our eggs in these huge mega project baskets and as you see on hunter's point that might not wind up being feasible right you know, and then so we have Treasure Island, and far be it from me to uh, look. Treasure Island, if it's finished, it'll be home for twenty thousand people. That's a good thing. We need homes for twenty thousand people. At the same time, no, if you were like no planner would have put housing there. Anything, if you think about it from like a transportation point of view, or a engineering point of view, or an environmental, environmental point, point of, of view, view yeah. the there is no good reason, and you're thinking to yourself, where should we put 20,000 new people? The only reason that, the only thing that makes putting them on Treasure Island or um, even on Hunter's Point, which from a transportation point of view isn't quite as bad, the only thing that makes that make sense is if what you're actually prioritizing is the needs and desires of basically single family homeowners. Because as a practical matter, the real thing that we should be doing is letting people in less dense neighborhoods tear down their own homes because we still have a lot of owner occupiers and the demographics are such that these people are retiring you know they're moving away this is a good time to let people turn those single family homes into small apartment buildings that's and that's a particularly cheap kind of building it's so frustrating to me because san francisco has made it illegal to build what is the the most affordable kind of building which is like three to five story apartment buildings and instead, they only legalized um, like 16, you know, 8, 16, 24 story buildings like Rincon Hill. And, and then we're asking ourselves, why is new housing so expensive? Mm-hmm. So it's very frustrating. So, uh, sorry, I went on a tangent. 
because I love to do that rant and that's why I'm in the business I'm in. Um, but the number one thing, there's two things that I want to do for, for six. One is legalize affordable housing everywhere. So only 20% of the city are you even really able to build subsidized housing because if you're building subsidized housing, it has to be apartments. Hmm. Um, the That's just how like HUD and the state, they give out low-income housing tax credits. They're not going to so they're not, not going to help you build like a single family project. Of, right. It doesn't make sense. Right. They want it. It's public. It's for the public. So they want to maximize. Exactly. Right. But in um, 80. So of the parts of the city that are zoned residential, 80 percent of that is zoned for five units or less. And so you literally cannot build affordable housing unless you get a zoning change. And that's what happened if anyone was following this Forest Hills proposal. There was an idea to build 150 apartments for people 55 years and older who are low income. 20% of them were supposed to go to people who had just been homeless. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is exactly the type of population that's the most vulnerable to homelessness. And but they needed a zoning change, and the neighborhood around there was like no way. And so Norman Yee, who's supposedly a progressive uh, who represents that neighborhood, said no. And the supervisors were like, okay, well, you know, I guess we're not going to do it. If we had an affordable housing overlay over the whole rest of the city that said, okay, your zoning is whatever it is, but if someone's building affordable housing, then they can build it. Then we would have that. It would be under construction right now. You know, and like walk around, look and see some of our elders that are living outside. They could have lived there, 150 of them. And that's a lot. It will take you actually several days to probably see 150 people who are older, you know, older than 55. Um, it would have made a tremendous difference. So that's the number one thing that I want to do. And I, I think it would be very controversial, but I think it's a controversy San Francisco needs to have. The other thing is, so that's for permanent housing. The other thing is, is to at least double the amount of shelter we have. San Francisco has been living in a fantasy land that we don't really need shelter, uh, but we need shelter. Right. They, they, they bust out the special rainy season exactly. uh, you know, accommodations, um, which you know, which is basically like putting mat, more mats on the floor of existing shelters, um, some, or opening some emergency um, centers as well. Um, but I also know that they're they're also very restrictive as well as to what you can bring in or who you can be with, and yeah. um, that's a lot of what we've seen. Uh, the well when Mark Farrell was temporarily mayor, um, some of the recent sweeps that have happened on the streets because of Proposition Q that passed a couple of years back um, th- that al- that says that tents are not allowed on the si- on city streets and that you can remove them as long as you offer services to the people who you're you know shuffling along, basically. But that the services that have been offered haven't really provided any sort of solution. They were they were basically putting out the rain mats on the floors of existing shelters, telling people they could stay there for a week and that they could only bring like a couple bags with them. So it was kind of unrealistic. It's not really helping the situation. It's not housing anybody. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, it's a complex situation we've got going on. Yeah, when I'm the shelter thing is really it's it is it's it is. Um, it's kind of complicated, uh, but it's also kind of simple. When so I talked, this current situation has so has created so many bad feedback loops. So what we have now is we only have shelter available for forty percent of the people that need it, right? 
So 60% of the people, even if they wanted to go, even if they were like, you know what, forget it. I want to go to shelter. There's no room for them anyway. Right. People line up. Right. And so then you have, I talk to people all day long, I'm campaigning, you know, residents. And I say, we need more shelter. And they're like, hmm, you sound like an idiot to me because I talked to a homeless person and that person said they didn't want to go to shelter. So what are you going to do? It's like, okay, they say they don't want to go to shelter, but really is it they don't want to go to shelter or they don't want to go wait in line for four hours and get to the head of the line and find out that there's no room. Right. Or they don't want to go somewhere. The thing is too, with the shelters, a lot of them, you can't stay during the day. So they wake you up at seven in the morning. Other shelters wake you up at 10 in the morning, you know, so they are different. And like people experiencing homelessness will kind of pick and choose and say, I don't want to go to that one. I will go to this other one. Or, you know, some of them are very strict and, and, and kind of unpleasant places. And, um, some of the staff is really, really great, but some of the staff can be kind of rude. Um, and, but the thing is, is, and so that drives people away. But if somebody says to themselves, I, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the street because being here isn't worth it, there's somebody else that's going to take their place. And so part of it is just the scarcity of shelter gives the operators the ability to run a shelter that doesn't serve everybody because the people that self-select and leave, somebody else is going to take their place anyway. Uh, so if we had more, you know what I mean? There'd be more motivation to make sure that people aren't like just leaving. Right. And also with the, I mean, there's women's shelters, there's men's only shelters, you know, they kind of try to separate the homeless population a lot. Um, And I understand that there's probably a lot of good reason for that. Um, But at the same time, if you happen, if it happens to be a couple or a family or someone with their pet, um, you know, and their pet is their only companion and protection on the streets, and then they can't bring that person or that animal into some of these places then they're not going to want to go because they know that they're not really welcome there as is um yeah it's it it, i mean it's interesting to me um you know that in the city that we have so much wealth um that homelessness was definitely probably the number one issue in the mayor's race. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's strange. It's ironic. We have like a huge paradox here in San Francisco. Yeah, we really do. And it's been fascinating. I encourage anyone to run for office or just talk to every single person you see, because it's been so amazing. The, the barriers. So we, other cities, hundreds of other American cities have reduced street homelessness to almost zero. And the main thing that characterizes those places are there's two things. One, that they have good coordination amongst all the nonprofits that provide services. Hmm. And we're working on that. Uh, that's this, there's this kind of, there's, I forget what it's called, like the one system or something, I don't know, but the Department of Home, of Housing and Homeless Services is putting together a better coordinating system. Fine, that's it. Uh, the other thing is, is to provide enough shelter. That places where 98% of people who are experiencing homelessness are nonetheless in shelter are places that have slightly more than one homeless, I mean, sorry, slightly more than one bed per person that mm. needs it mm-hmm. so that there's always a bed. So that no matter what happens, you know, middle of the night, you have some place that you can stay and you don't have to stay outside. So that's what we really need to do. When I talk to people and I say, like, other places have solved this problem and the main thing that we need to do is double or maybe even triple the amount of shelter we have, I get one of two answers. Either, yes, that makes sense, totally we should do it, thank you, 
or no, there's no point. It's impossible. We'll never solve this problem. San Francisco isn't like other places. And let me tell you, nothing about a person's demographic gives me a clue as to what answer I'm going to get. Old or young, any race, no matter where they live. I've had people in SROs tell me there's no point. You'll never solve it. Hmm. You know, and I've had high income people say, yes, definitely shelter. You know, it's not like a simple, like rich versus poor Republican versus Democrat thing. Yeah. When you, it's interesting when you start kind of digging deep and, and you get a lot of just really personal, um, opinions about things and I think a lot of the skepticism probably comes from the fact that it hasn't really been solved here yet Um, but of course San Francisco is does live in a bit of a bubble but you're talking about other cities like in New York or in Boston or different models for that yeah New York Boston Philadelphia Salt Lake City those are the ones off the top of my head that all but there's more than that and you're from Philadelphia. Yes. All right. So t- let's talk a little bit about Philadelphia <laughs> um, and um, what, you know, because you, did you grow up there yeah. and, and how, what were, how were you, I imagine that you've been kind of involved in, in your community for a long, long time, just from, you know, your energy and, and your ideas. So give us a little, give us a little background, Sonia Trouse. It's true. I have always cared about neighborhood issues. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. I grew up in a neighborhood called Germantown. If you look up, look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> look it up, Californians. It's the other side of the country. <laughs> um, yeah, when I was on, I, I was, when I was in high school, I was a bike messenger. Um, so that I think really, kind of cemented my interest in the city because it's a job of just riding around, you know, and I really loved it. Um, I, I did, there was a park called Love Park. So one of my first causes, the city wanted to renovate Love Park and they had, so Love Park was great. It was skaters and like teens and some people experiencing homelessness lived there. Um, and it was a hangout, like after school, on weekends once a month there was a drum circle there were 400 teens there like smoking weed and skating and it was so great and this the narrative like the city hall said this park is a failure no one uses it so that was kind of my first introduction to politics where i was like no one i mean i'm looking we're all here but i realized what they were saying is we were no one Mm. uh and since then i mean i've seen a lot of public conversations that that kind of blatantly tell you who who's having them with each other you know so it was really that city hall workers and office workers weren't there and that's who they were talking to um anyway so they wanted to renovate the park to make it harder to skate there and we tried to fight it and then we totally lost like city hall didn't care about us at all Hmm. um well actually not totally because the skaters got some land somewhere else to build another skate park so it was you know sort of i could i saw how compromises could happen um, and then later I worked in my, uh, my neighborhood association. Um, that was a neighborhood called West Poplar. And the big scandals there at first would be like somebody wanted a curb cut or they wanted to like put a um, roof deck in. Uh, but then the, the housing market started heating up. And this was an area that had just been losing population since 1945. So... 
the idea of somebody wanting to come and build something new was so strange Hmm. and it was pretty exciting uh but that was the first time i mean i could talk about this for hours but i won't but that was the first time that like i started to see some of these like fights about gentrification and but again i mean it was a pretty diverse neighborhood and people were really complicated you know like every type of person had every type of idea about whether it was good or bad but Philadelphia is pretty different from here because it is a city that had so much disinvestment for decades and decades. It's Development is not a dirty word there. You know, here I was sort of, it was new to me that when people were like, oh, developers, that's terrible. Because in Philadelphia, like, sure, like people also didn't want to lose parking. But the idea of someone coming to invest in your neighborhood was actually kind of a good thing because we were losing money we were losing population yeah definitely the um the, a, a different a different uh, taste of uh when san franciscans talk about development especially redevelopment mm-hmm. um because there is such a history of you know the redevelopment agency coming in and basically like raising a a neighborhood and making empty promises and not letting people return and not really you know, giving community members as much of a voice, kind of like you're saying with the kids in the park, like, hey, don't do this. We use this park. It's like, sorry, boom, rubber stamp. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it does um, carry a, um, a, more, a more sinister kind of, kind of tone here in San Francisco. Um, but in terms of the kind of housing and or development that you see going into San Francisco, um, how, how, do you, how do you kind of... Mm, how do do you really kind of come to terms with um, keeping a a quality of life and outdoor spaces and and parks and things in a a place that perhaps um, you would also put in more density and more housing? Like, where do you you see the balance of that uh, in San Francisco? Yeah, so District 6 is a good example, I think, of how not to do it. Uh, Or, you know what, it's done I want to talk about what we should do next. So District 6, we built tons of new housing. Great. But our streets are still built like for highway off-ramps and small manufacturing. You know, we have tens of thousands of people living on every single block. And we have a lot of streets that are four lanes of traffic, usually in one direction, two lanes of parking, and then sidewalks that are like seven, maybe 10 feet wide. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go out to the Richmond, the sidewalks are 15 feet wide and there's way fewer people living there just because the buildings are only two stories tall. Mm-hmm. So that's not right. Like if you, if you know that tens of thousands of people live there, you know that thousands of people are going to be using those sidewalks and walking. And uh, I know this doesn't sound like I'm talking about parks, but it is about parks. Like if you have a wider sidewalk, then you can have street trees. We took out a lot of the, the sidewalk benches in san francisco and i think that was wrong so sometimes you have explicit you know parks you have a square and there's grass there that's fine but that's not the only type of open space that makes a place livable Mm -hmm. another really important component of livability is just plants around and they might not be street trees they could be like fancy grasses which we have in some parts of rincon hill i'm very jealous of i wish we had them more like that at at 7th street uh but yeah and but other kinds of like smaller congregating spaces you know we have a real ambivalence about street use here because we have some street uses that I think that pretty much everybody agrees are firmly antisocial, right? Like, op- like just doing heroin, like 
doing yeah. heroin, falling asleep. I th- I think that we're pretty much okay with we don't want people to do that. Um, living outside, also no. Uh, but in in trying to prohibit that stuff, we've also made it hard for people to like run into someone they know on the street and stand there for a while chatting with them. You know, or like if you live in an SRO, especially your your room is small. There's no common living space. You should be able to sit out front of your house. Sitting out front of your house is a really normal thing. In some neighborhoods, they have porches. Right. We don't have porches, and then we also have narrow sidewalks. So, like, no matter what you're doing, you're in someone's way. It's stressful, and it's not fair to anyone. Like, you should be able to hang out, you know, in front of your building. You should also be able to walk down the street without feeling like you're interrupting people's conversations. The solution is there because we have all this space that's being taken up by cars. So we got to take back that space. So we have to elect someone that's going to make that a priority. Uh, so I guess what I'm, yeah, that's that's what we have to do. Like when you are renovating a neighborhood or changing a neighborhood, building more things, like you have to really think about what the where the people are going to actually physically be when they're not home. Um, we have enough space for everything that we want to do. You know, for a city that is so space constrained and, con- and so concerned about it, we really, really underuse rooftop space. There's, it's a mystery why 80% of the buildings don't have usable rooftops. And I also think that we're misusing street space. Um, just to remind everybody, you're listening to Women's Magazine here at MutinyRadio.fm. Uh, we're talking with Sonia Trous, who's running for District 6 Supervisor here in San Francisco. And District 6, if we didn't define it before, is part of the Tenderloin, um, Soma, Mission Bay. And Treasure Island. And Treasure Island. Treasure Island. Um, so so I, I'm kind of hearing, a, um, you know, kind of this, the, all these different ideas about, like, more public space, built in but also more housing mm-hmm. as well and less parking uh i said less less traffic lanes oh okay okay i also think less parking yeah but less traffic like fewer traffic yeah yeah less fewer, traffic fewer traffic lanes yeah so i mean and and i, I see where I, I i see the vision of i i like the public space aspect and like you know we do have i personally like all the parklets that have come up yes. around the city i think those are great yes um you know it does create those outdoor spaces in a city that allow people to come and like hang out and yeah. spend time and, it, and it's open to anyone and it's open to anyone if you're homeless you can sit there you yeah. know they're not going to like shuffle you along unless you're trying to sleep there overnight which it's not what those are designed for but um but at the same time, at least from, you know, in, in my mind, more people means more traffic, means more people taking public transit and like more density is just going to congest more. So like taking taking away driving lanes might be a bit unrealistic because people, I mean, I, I think of it as more, not like a San Francisco problem. It's like an American thing. You know, Americans love their cars. So are you going to build parking for them and where are they going to go and we have all these ubers everywhere and you know it's like we're one of the biggest problems that the city's facing is traffic congestion so do you have plans do you have ideas about that yeah so the traffic congestion one thing that we that would help a lot we have no enforcement for don't block the box i actually want to prioritize getting officers traffic control officers during rush hour it's kind of amazing it's really low-hanging fruit you know that just hasn't been prioritized by 
the uh, previous supervisor. So having humans there, making sure traffic's flowing, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, and this actually does still go along with narrowing the streets, that if you narrow the streets and you make all of them one way, then you can get a timed light system. And that's what they did in downtown LA. And the beautiful thing about the timed lights is that, so because there's two, there's kind of two different things going on. Like one, like, yes, with more people, you're just not going to be able to go as fast. I think that for, for especially older people who remember a time 30 years ago, you could kind of expect to just zip across the city and you're not going to be able to zip across the city anymore. It's just not going to be fast, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. If we have timed lights uh, and we have a, you know, a smart street network, then if you hit every light, you might only be going 18 miles an hour, but you still feel really good about it. Like traffic is stressful when you're stuck. Yeah. And it even can be scary. I mean, I've been in traffic where I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to move for an hour. And I kind of started to feel like anxious like a you know i was stuck in an elevator or something freaking out but if you feel like you're moving then yeah it'll be a little bit slower um it does seem kind of counterintuitive that taking space away from cars uh would make traffic better but i'll tell you two things one is about induced demand um when you add lanes people decide to drive and the other way also uh, is true. So if you take lanes away, then people who might have driven decide not to. Uh, so the traffic, act, like the number of cars actually goes down when you take space away from them. Um, the other thing is, is that you want to think about, we have this space between buildings. We have a lot of people who want to move from point A to point B. We have to figure out like, what is the most efficient way of getting them around? And the sidewalk is a much more efficient way of getting people from point A to point B than a lane of traffic. A sidewalk can carry six times as many people as a lane of traffic. So what we want to do is maximize the space that we dedicate to super efficient ways of getting around in order to get people to move. Uh, so all of this does mean that that there's going to be some people who are going to like change the way that they move around the city. Some people will always have to drive and that's fine. That's good. You know, for the people that have to drive, I really want, I, I really want them to hear me and believe that what we want is for them to be able to move around the city more easily. You know, there's all these people that like don't have to drive, right? All of us, like sometimes I'm sitting there like, should I take a lift? Should I take the bus? Should I just walk? Right? Don't take the lift. <laughs> like be a pal, be pro social. You know, if it's possible for you, don't get in that car. And my job or the city's job is to make you want to not get in a car, you know, to, to make you want to take any other way. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, I feel you, but I also, you know, with the, I, I'm a lifelong muni writer, like for better or for worse. Yeah. And it's most, you know, often for worse, but <laughs> you know, um, I think that a lot of the problems that we've seen in San Francisco in terms of development, which is probably another why, reason why it's a dirty word sometimes, is because there's been development, but without the infrastructure to support yeah. it. So you get a brand new uh, complex, people are living there, great, but you haven't put another bus on that line mm-hmm. in the morning or the afternoon. Uh, you haven't fixed the streets to let people get out, um, you know, more easily. Um, so 
you know, I, I, I see that as a, a failure in many ways yeah. that we've seen in the past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a more comprehensive um, plan of about going forward because, I mean, things are changing. It's, it's, yeah. it's a growing city, even though it's a little tiny seven by seven mile, um, already very dense, pop, densely populated city. Um, you know, obviously we just need some smart planning. So um, I really appreciate you coming in today. Uh, yeah, thanks and, for having me. And talking about your ideas and your, your passion. And um, how can people get more information about you and your campaign? Uh, the website is sonia2018.org. And my name is spelled with a J, S-O-N-J-A. But even if you spell it wrong, it'll redirect. Uh, or our office is at 1260 Mission Street. Um, and if you're listening live today, tomorrow is the opening of the Transbay Terminal. So we're all meeting up at noon at um, First and Natoma. Uh, so come meet up with us. It's going to be really fun. I'm actually really excited about that. That's cool. Yeah, the big Transbay Terminal, the big park is opening tomorrow. Get out there. It's open from 12 to 4 to the public. It's like the grand opening block party free and um, go check it out because if you're interested in how San Francisco is really evolving, I think this is going to be, this is a really big addition to the downtown area. So um, glad to know you'll be out there with the Sonia Trouse campaign. Uh, Thanks for being my guest here on Women's Magazine. And uh, yeah. The the election season coverage continues here on Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like, hey, you know what? I see some problems. I'm going to step up and say something. Well, you know, inspiration is contagious. So uh, peace and thank you. And thank you to my guest. And stay tuned because in just about 10 minutes, we're going to be starting the Common Thread Collective here. And Diamond Dave's coming in and all of our friends. And you can come too. It's a community open mic. So our doors, hearts, minds, and microphones microphones are open to you. So come on down, good people, and we'll have a good time. And thanks for listening to Mutiny Radio. And also don't forget, coming up on August 18th is the Noise Pop 20th Street Block Party. And there's going to be programming here at Mutiny Radio all day long. Some of the bands are going to be coming over here for interviews. Um, There's going to be some special programming that day. And we're just here at the corner of 21st Street and Florida Streets in the Mission District. You might have to look a little ways. We're in a residential neighborhood. But once you get here, it's unmistakable. MutinyRadio.fm. Peace.
get this way? What's my new direction? Why am I still sitting here staring at the same old mess? Better get up and look in the mirror at your face and take a guess. Answer's not gonna come from your TV or your phone Better look up and outward before your chance is gone Anyone looking for a new path won't find but one thing clear Got to get your shovel and dig a little deeper or you'll still be standing here Oh